Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to Minisode 152 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional dude of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. How are you? Uh, up and down to be honest, I've got mm-hmm. like a chest infection thing on the go. That's a pain. I, it's, I'm, I'm sure it's just a chest infection, it's not the Covid. I'm way past the point where if I have any cold of any kind, I'm way past the paranoia of it being that because I never go anywhere. Sure, yeah, 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 same. Um, on a related note, actually, I am largely doing fine this week. I've had an okay week, everything's going pretty good. Apart from the fact that I'm very frustrated that uh, Glasgow is stuck in Tier 3 for another week. Yeah, yeah, I know you had tickets for Spiral booked for this week. Yeah, for Monday, yeah. Um, so I understand that on the list of sacrifices people have to make this week, that is quite low, but like, I think <laughs> that I've been quite good at like managing my expectations for when I'm able to do things, and I think that I kind of kidded myself on that I would actually get to do this one. Yeah, yeah, I get that, I get that. So what is the deal with that then? Just a refund on your ticket? You know what, I haven't heard actually, so I need to dig in and find out what's going on there because uh, they're running out of time because for date stamp purposes, we are coming at you at (laughs) 11.30 on Sunday morning, which is uh, 36 hours or less from when I'm supposed to be going to see this thing. Yeah, yeah, not not much time at all to stick those pennies back into your bank account. Now let me ask you this, Mitch, how was it round your way yesterday? Um, I made the educated decision to not be here. Oh yeah, you cleared out, of course. Of course, of course. Well, I can tell you around Maui, it was very loud with fireworks and uh, shouting late into the night. Yes, Glasgow gets a wee bit chaotic every now and again around about May, doesn't it? Yeah, it does indeed. And uh, this week was certainly one for the record books, I think, in terms of nonsense. Uh, yes, I would say that's probably true. However, away from that and on to better things, you've been watching anything this week? I haven't watched much this week, I'll be honest with you. I'm still in that phase where, like... I don't know, I, I feel like I'm just craving pleasantness in my life, so I've been watching like a lot of, I think last week I mentioned I was watching Simpsons, and or I certainly told you that I was watching The Simpsons, and this week I've yep. been kind of in Bob's Burgerland. Oh, it's uh, so good though. Oh, it's amazing. Um, but I did finish Resident Evil 8. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. It does get a little bit silly towards the end, and a little bit action heavy, perhaps to the detriment of horror. But yeah, I had a good time with it. One thing I did make time for this week, and I know you did too, was the new episode of Inside Number 9, Series 6, Episode 1. Yes, Series 6, Episode 1 of Inside Number 9. Of course, if you're unfamiliar, this is the anthology series from Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton. Yes, yes indeed. Great favourite of both of ours returning this past Monday with Wuthering Heist. Yeah, yeah, now, I uh, have a fair idea of uh, your opinion on this, so uh, if you'd like to take the floor. Okay, sure. I mean, like, so, Inside Number 9, if you're familiar with it, obviously, it's kind of it's kind of famous for doing this whistle-stop tour of formats and uh, genres and yeah. subgenres. 
plays around with formats a lot and things like that and uh, this was no exception. So Wuthering Heist, it is basically a straight heist story that we obviously don't see any of the real action of. It's very much a chamber piece all shot in this kind of like warehouse where it's being planned. Yeah, it's got kind of Reservoir Dogsy vibe in that regard. Yeah, um, and a decent cast on this as well. Obviously, you've got um, the two guys themselves, also Kevin Bishop, also uh, Gemma Whelan, best yep. known from uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, and Patterson Joseph, big favourite of both of us. Yeah, Patterson Joseph, better known as the greatest sitcom character of all time, Johnson from <laughs> Peep Show. Um, so, yeah, what we have here is the before, during and after of a heist and some kind of competing stories around that. On paper, this sounded okay, um, mm-hmm. and I came away from it trying to focus on the positives, but i got to say, there's normally one or two episodes in a series inside number nine that I connect with a little bit less than the others. But um, as an opening gambit, I just could not get on with this at all. Right, okay. So the hope would be that this is one of the one or two that you don't connect with. Yeah, I'm just not used to it being the first one. Yeah. So what was your what was your your main issue here? Because I'll tell I'm, you right now, I I didn't mind this. Okay, I think that for one thing, I would say I will hold my hands up and admit to you probably a little bit of ignorance about the kind of format and style it was spoofing. Right, so not a big Commedia dell'arte fan? Uh, no, no, I'd never heard that term before until okay. uh, it was mentioned by Gemma Whelan's character in one of the many instances where she breaks the fourth wall. Yeah. I also hoped that would go somewhere. Okay. And I don't feel like it did, and I don't think that the joke at the end is enough. Right, okay. okay. Um, so I, I kind of felt like that was there for the hell of it, and I, yeah, I, that was something that I kind of just assumed would lead somewhere, and I never really felt like it did. It all just felt a little bit too kind of like smug. Okay. One, one thing I will say is that the montage of how the heist was going to play out was excellent. Like, yeah. I really loved that. Reminded me a bit. It was, um, I was talking to uh, Faye from A Spit in Your Grades, who is an Inside Number 9 scholar. Yeah, super fun. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And she mentioned that apparently the two of them are both fans of OK Go. Right. And uh, it reminded me of one of their music videos. Also, when the humour is kind of like teetering this close to carry on and stuff like that, is sometimes some things that don't necessarily work for me. Mm. Um, there were some really funny bits in it. Uh, there were some jokes that really made me laugh. But as an overall piece of work, it was just one of those things where I never really found this to get out of first gear. But I feel like I'm in the minority with that. Like, it seems like it's generally pretty well liked. And I'm also, like, I'm very happy that they're back doing weird things on our screen again. And I'll obviously be tuning in tomorrow night to see what's next. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, a little bit anticlimactic just because I was kind of so buzzing for it starting. And it was just one that... I couldn't really vibe with. But yeah, you like this a little more? Yeah, I have a slightly clearer knowledge of Commedia dell'arte, so I had a rough idea of the kind of characters that they were trying to kind of portray. Uh, I did have a little issue with a couple of their low-hanging fruit jokes, but again, that's kind of part and parcel. But some of them were just a bit cringy for me. Same. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, there was a couple of things that were just kind of a, l- a little bit kind of overcrass as well. Just a bit like, yeah, yeah, there were a couple of things, particularly surrounding the plot with Scaramouche and Mario. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, some of that stuff was a little bit like, ugh. But on the whole, I thought it was a pretty decent episode. I think there's worse episodes inside number nine than this. And I, and to be fair to you, Mitch, I have seen quite a few dissenting voices. Okay. Um, um, so you're not you're certainly not alone in that. Like, I'm never going to stop watching this. I think it's always worth sticking with because they'll always surprise you with some moment of absolute genius. Like, you never feel like you're any more than five minutes away from something that will absolutely floor you. Yeah, and I think uh, as well it's important to say that the weaker end of the Inside Number 9 spectrum is still considerably more interesting than the weaker end of a lot of other TV shows. The weaker end of Inside Number 9 is a lot stronger and more interesting than the stronger end of the spectrum of a lot of TV shows. Uh, yeah, 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 fair. So, uh, yeah, over, overall, like I say, a slow start for me, but very glad to have it back. Yeah, I can't, I can't actually wait till 
tomorrow to see what's next. I don't know anything about the next episode at all. I haven't even looked into it. Uh, no, the only thing that I've seen for it is uh, the little poster that they showed at the end of uh, this past week's one, and it looks very much like something I'd like. But I haven't, I haven't done any digging either. I must say. Yeah. Um, I do have something that I'm very ready to enthuse about this week, though, which is always nice. I think I know what this is because if it is what I think it is, you have already enthused at me about it. So it's fair that you should enthuse wider than just myself. Yeah, I am. Um, I mentioned that it was coming to Sky Cinema this past week and had also said that I'd been to check it out for a while. So I watched Rent-A-Pal this week uh, mm. from John Stevenson. Yeah. Uh, so set in 1990, this one, and we've got 40-year-old David, who is played by Brian Landis Fokins here, um, who is this kind of like very lonely, isolated guy who's looking after his dementia-afflicted mother. Right. Mm-hmm. And you see him kind of like, so it's 1990, so the dating service that he's trying to use is like one of those video ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where, you, where everyone you sends in their VHSs yeah. and they try and, yeah, you, yeah, they go in, you go in and they record them and then they try and match you to people and they post your tapes out there all, all, and all that stuff. He also, while I think it, he's just kind of at a shop or something and he finds a video shop and he finds that this VHS called Rent-A-Pal, which he takes home. And basically, um, it's a character called Andy who's played by Will Wheaton. Right. Who basically sits and has this one half of a conversation with you that you're supposed to have the other half of with him okay okay like and and you see the fact that kind of david is very skeptical about this in the beginning and he kind of gets generally a little bit more taken in by it as it goes on the way that they did this was really clever rather than have it be this one long conversation that you saw him getting more into you saw him going back and answering the same questions again. Okay. With like more enthusiasm and giving away more information about himself and you learned a little bit more about him. There's also like a romance B story in this where like kind of midway through as this thing is starting to kind of like take over his life, he gets matched with uh, this character called Lisa played by uh, Amy Rutledge who's also superb. I have to say, okay. this builds to a, like an ending that I actually found really distressing. Like, um, there was parts of it that I really struggled to look at. I'm not. I wouldn't venture to say that that would be the case for a massive amount of other people. It just pushed a couple of specific buttons of mine. Right. I was watching it on my own in my flat, and something happened, and I actually said, "Oh no, I don't like that." Aloud. <laughs> I think this is absolutely tremendous um i really thought this was outstanding i think that these stories about slightly awkward looking isolated guys who don't know how how to interact with people can very quickly those characters can be like really unrelatable when they need to kind of like dial the notches up you can see people being kind of like unnecessarily unhinged or weird and i think that none of that happens i think that the character lisa sticks around for a sensible amount of time until and then she starts to kind of like sense that something's up and tries to kind of extricate herself from the situation i think that it leaves a perfect amount of time before she realizes that nobody gives anybody the benefit of the doubt for too long anything like that this plays out for as much as it can do this plays out pretty realistically and pretty relatably i think that this is really really interesting if you want to check this out you can see it on now tv uh now or you can rent it on all the vod platforms as well but that's john stevenson's rent a pal and that's uh, one of my favorite things that i've seen in quite a while i saw will wheaton recently on an episode of criminal minds being a creepy bastard i think he does that quite well aha uh-huh. um yeah i've seen him do that kind of thing a couple of times and yeah i think that he's got a pretty good handle on uh, on that stuff uh yeah i this was great i really thought it was i thought i thought it was fantastic um how However, unless there is any other business uh, in terms of general viewing, it is time to discuss which variant of nature went wild this week. Okay, well, uh, we're in arachnid territory here. (laughs) I thought you were just going to say we're in Iraq. I was like, all right, (laughs) which animal was it? Okay, arachnid stuff. Let me set you a scene. We're in Iraq. (laughs) It's 2005. (laughs) 
No, arachnids uh, are uh, eight-legged friends. Yes. Uh, I went on uh, Amazon Prime this week and I watched Ice Spiders. Ice Spiders. Yes, yes. This is directed by the guy who directed The Gate. Oh, okay, wow. Whose name I we didn't have a crack at in the episode either because I didn't want to mess it up. But yeah, this is uh, it's, it's the story of tinkering with nature, Mitch. That's it. That's another one of these things that I talk about all the time. Scientists tinkering with nature up in the mountains, up in the snowy wastes, and uh, creates this strain of super spiders. Uh, the super spiders get loose onto like a kind of ski resort. Okay. And it falls to like the lead scientist, April, uh, a local cop, and a ski instructor to save the day. Sure. Who else? <laughs> <laughs> Did you say when this was? Uh, 2007, so just a couple of years after we were in Iraq. Okay, okay. Um, so how is this? <laughs> I think you know the answer to that. I'm going to hazard a guess at not great, but what kind of not great is it? Yeah, it's not great. Uh, Patrick Muldoon's in here and he's trying to do his best, but it's it's really not great at all. But I have to say, it's it seems to be getting treated quite badly on imdb it's got like 3.1 out of 10 but i don't think it was as bad as some of the stuff i've watched for this I, i'd have it closer to a four okay i mean that's 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 a considerable upscale from some of the stuff you talked about i see okay yeah. so uh ice spiders scrapes through scrapes through just uh but it suffers from the same thing that a lot of these films do which is just god-awful cgi and stuff like that it's it's pretty poor and i, I get the feeling that a lot of the, the actors and stuff in these even like even when they're kind of gamely trying to muddle through you can see that they're not interested and it's just a paycheck for them that's sad that's a shame yeah and i get that from patrick muldoon here okay okay so nature going wild once again we still await a release date on great white <laughs> or something something else like I, I don't want to do this all the way to the meg too no 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 absolutely not I, I, i'll intervene before that happens. right lovely lovely however moving on yeah what have they been saying now mitch yes. let me just tell you here I'm sitting here with my my cold and my chest infection going on but you made a call a couple of weeks ago when we talked about edge of the axe and sun kissed Orange. Yes. <laughs> I find myself here drinking a delicious Orangina, which we talked about on the feedback a couple of weeks ago. Orangina's a good one. It is delicious. Yep, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine, fine entry into the carbonated orange beverage canon. I think it's high. I think it's high up there. Definitely, yeah. I, I'm, I'm drinking a Sprite this morning, so mm. um, I feel like that exists on the periphery of this conversation, but shouldn't really be a part of it. Yeah, it's the other end of the citrus kind of scale here. But what I have to say is... Citrus really only in the flavour written on the can because I don't think you get a clear lemon or lime flavour from it. No, that's true. It's like, yeah, it's like genetically citric. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I would actually say that it's really just a carrying vessel for orange juice if you want orange or lemonade. Yeah, I would say that's fair. fair. In which yep. case, just crack a delicious orange. <laughs> <laughs> Right, moving on. Um, a big thank you to everybody that's been getting in touch this week. Unsurprisingly, we have had a decent amount of uh, feedback on Children of the Corn 3, which was, of course, the subject of episode 150, where we were rejoined by Clapboard Jungle and Life Changer director Justin McConnell. Fair to say that opinion was divided on the film for this one. I would say 
surprisingly, as far as I'm concerned, the opinion swings pretty far to negative. Yeah, Mark Smith got in touch um, identifying out of the gate on the Chudlocker that um, where we were, uh, kind of where we stood on this one, saying, I sort of got the impression that you two liked this film. Something about the unbelievable glee you both showed that I could be wrong. I thought I think it was really, really good. Yeah, I thought it was really good as well, I must say. But um, uh, Kevin Matthews, not so sure. Loved the chat much more than the film. Always upset that they never released a children of the corn film called The Hills Have Ears. <laughs> uh, Keen O'Brien got in touch to say, great episode, lads. The film, not so much. Do, you, yeah. do people have no joy? Keen had uh, designs on uh, watching both Clapboard Jungle and that one night this week, and uh, he texted me at like one o'clock in the morning being like, I just watched Children of the Corn 3, and my opinion does not fall in line with yours. Well, all right, okay. Oh, fair enough. Sorry, it's one o'clock in the morning and you've come to that decision. <laughs> Anything else in Children of the Corn 3? Uh, Dan Popomatic got in touch to say, I think Justin may have convinced me to dig deeper into the Children of the Corn franchise. Me too. I have since watched Children of the Corn 2 again. I, I, I can see myself doing that. Probably not today because I have an unbelievable amount of things to do. <laughs> but um, it might be uh, it might be the thing while I uh, sadly commiserate that I'm not watching Spiral tomorrow night. <laughs> I've heard mixed things about that as well, by the way. Yeah, that's fine. None of them get good reviews. I don't care. I'll just see what I think. Like, even the first one is sitting with 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Critic reviews are saw don't matter. But yeah, elsewhere, I want to say a quick hello to a couple of people getting in touch on the Chudlocker this week with a couple of recommendations, actually, Ooh. which is pretty cool. So sometimes on the streaming platforms, we talk about uh, upcoming titles that we think would be good entry-level or gateway horror films for kids. Sure, yeah, like if something like Monster House or Coraline or something comes on there. Yeah, things like that, right? So Gorehound got in touch this week on the Chudlocker saying, any Chuds looking to reward their kids for allowing them to watch Basket Case for the 319th time in peace, I can suggest this. Even my 13-year-old looked up from her phone it was very funny and even had a few horror references in there. It's available on Netflix. He is referring to The Mitchells vs. The Machines. Oh yeah, I've seen a lot of people talking about this. People are really, really enthusing about this, which yeah. is very cool. Really uh, kind of interested to check that out. But uh, yeah, so uh, Lewis dropped in with that one. And Stephen Wales as well got in touch saying that Volume 2 of Love, Death and Robots has landed on Netflix as well. Right, okay. And he was specifically directing us to a segment called All Through the House. Right. So I've never seen any of Love, Death and Robots, but it's one of those things that I remember a couple of my friends, kind of. I remember getting a couple of messages at the time from people being like, oh, you should really check this out. And even if you don't like it, it's all kind of really short and punchy. But yeah, um, he posted a screenshot of um, All Through the House as well, which looked really, it did, it did look really cool, quite smart animation and stuff like that. So thanks to uh, Stephen and Lewis for both getting in touch with those this week, because uh, yeah, that was really interesting. I have a nice piece of feedback here, also from the Chud Locker, from Sarah Eisel. Yes, now I passed this along to you at her request. Oh, lovely, lovely. Uh, listening to a few past episodes, and I want to take a moment to thank Andy for giving a shout-out to one of my absolute favourite actors. He is weirdly unknown, but appears in everything. Frank Welker. Ah, okay, I remember this name. Yeah, you, you would know so much of this guy's work. He's simply the best voiced actor ever, and no one ever mentions him. He's the voice of haunted houses, mystery-solving teens, just about every dog or monkey ever. Take a moment to remember the cartoons of your childhood, and Frank Welker was there. Thank you, Andy, for shouting him out. Yeah, I mean, he's been on the show loads of times in various forms. He's the voice of the anaconda. Okay. He is uh, the voice of, like, Mohawk, the kind of main gremlin in Gremlins 2. Yes, uh, this uh, this message was actually accompanied with a gift from that film. 
he has done so so much just take a look through his like his imdb it'll blow your mind cool okay um but yeah thanks for getting in touch sarah and uh, yeah really nice message yeah sharing the frank welker love there absolutely now i am tapped on feedback unless you've got anything else got a couple of little brief things here darren gaskell getting in touch on twitter to say congratulations on hitting 150 main episodes amazing stuff will someone please come on to talk about surf nazis must die that's not up to us darren uh perhaps uh, that person could be you yeah perhaps i think that would be a good time yeah yeah sheridan not on twitter also getting in touch to say revisited episode five of strong violent pc episode five mitch jesus yeah good god yeah change days that that must be almost exactly like three years ago got to be yeah in fact actually my facebook memories showed up that the this time last year we were preparing to talk about detention which was episode three so um yeah a couple of weeks out from the third anniversary of blair's first appearance on the show yeah, um, but uh, Sheridan just saying that Leviathan is miles better than The Thing 2011. Okay. You'll find no argument here. Yeah, happy with that. And that's me. No more feedback. Fantastic. In that case, <laughs> once again, time then for Mitch's Pitches. Now, Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He'll have photoshopped out the title and the tagline and left only the image. It'll be up to me to describe that image to the best of my ability and give it a title and a synopsis. So, last week we had Cameron's Closet. We did, yes, yeah. Uh, Reappropriated by me as Walter Catcher, Oscar Snatcher, the 60-foot abomination's not for turning. That's brilliant. I forgot about that title, but that's that's excellent. Preemptive strike that I will uh, not top that this week, I wouldn't imagine. (laughs) Um, But we did have a few people getting in touch. Guy Reefert, you can run, but you can't hide. Children shouldn't play with chemistry sets and read the Necronomicon at the same time. Out now, after school activities. (laughs) Uh, James Plum, Leonardo DiCaprio stars in 1987's Darling, That Kid Stole My Oscar Again. (laughs) I want to shout out to Mark Davies for uh, giving us one that I absolutely will not read out. (laughs) Oh, what what was it? Send it to me. Send it to me privately. I'll I'll send it to you. And if anybody else wants to read it, it's on the Chud Locker, but I'm not sticking my neck out like that. (laughs) I love when that happens. (laughs) But yeah, fair play, Mark. He did give me a laugh. I'll admit that. Kevin Matthews then, having thought that he finally closed the doorway to Narnia many years ago, a now teenage posh Rada lad named Peter finds that the Ice Queen is determined to break into our world. As her hand gets through the wardrobe door, she starts to phase through into our world, only slightly delayed by the fact it's no longer that large wooden furniture of the past and is now actually a Klepstad unit from Ikea. (laughs) Things start to go pear-shaped before you can say, remember James McAvoy with his wee twitchy ears as Mr. Tumnus? And Peter needs to convince everyone that he's not going mad and that there's an outer world danger set to potentially destroy the planet. It's the 2010 oddity, not lying, that bitch is the wardrobe. Um, James Rodriguez, precocious young cru- for fuck's sake, precocious young rusty cock and balls, lives his carefree days playing with his dog OJ. That all changes when his widowed neighbour, the venomous Agatha Turpentine, <laughs> runs over OJ as he takes a dump on her lawn. Fuming at the loss of his beloved dog, Rusty sneaks into Agatha's home for revenge and finds in her bedside drawer a dildo in the shape of a man. Right. When Agatha comes home early, Rusty must hide quickly while still holding the dildo and discovers the truth. Agatha is a powerful witch who killed her husband and put his soul into it so he could finally give her some pleasure. Can Rusty escape with the crusty object? <laughs> it's 1985's My Neighbor's Dildoro. <laughs> 
CP Buckley on Instagram. When little Sean Hare is dared by his friends to break into a seemingly empty house down the street and steal something as proof, he gives in. Inside, however, he finds that the house is actually a strange bridgeway between multiple different dimensions and is soon pursued by a strange demonic creature who won the award for Best Actor. <laughs> Hijinks ensue as Sean makes his way through the rooms that shift between dimensions, hoping to find his way home. It's a 1988 inspiration to Sliders, Linguini Fettuccini's The House to Everywhere. Oh, I like that title, by the way. Uh, yeah, also, I'd watch that. Yeah. 100%. CP is, uh, I would say, top of the league for consistently suggesting things that I think would make for great films. <laughs> Uh, Hanny underscore Ray then Little Timmy took a talisman from his granny's basement And now granny is mad Run Timmy run It's attack of the giant monster grandma See what you say Yep sure I want to say hello to Gorehound He sent something into the tune of Living on a Prayer But I don't want to sing it I am not prepared to sing it either But I did see this And uh, thank you Are you wanting to read it out? Like like kind of uh, Yes happy to I think that the fact that I am shy about singing it Should not preclude me reading it out And if anyone wants to record themselves singing it and uh, send it in to us. We will play it on the show, of course. Yeah. Tommy took a toy out of its box, uh-huh. swapped it for a bike. He's down on his luck. It's tough. So tough. Evil Genie works the basement all day. Person loads <laughs> of toys. His hands are swelling up. It's tough. So tough. And of course, whoa, the toys were safer there. Whoa, monster hand from the lair. I don't like that. Yeah, I think it's pretty great. I, I really like the fact that instead of Tommy and Gina, it's Tommy and the Evil Genie. Yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, Andre Martins, in a classic example of too much cocaine in early 90s Hollywood, the screenwriter tasked with writing the sequel to the 1989 comedy hit mm, lives out his frustrations that the script for Stepfather 3 was refused, resulting in a weird change of genres in this tale about an uncle going from black sheep of the family to homicidal maniac in Uncle Buck's Revenge, not written by John Hughes, not starring John Candy. <laughs> And finally, Cosmic Ray Girl. When devious hand pirate Soom Bloke starts chasing down <laughs> locals, he stumbles upon Fast Fingers McGill, a plucky young policeman. Can Soom Bloke outsmart Fingers? Find out in 1981's Under Arrest. Oh, right, okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that's your lot. Yeah. Uh, best character name to Agatha Turpentine. Of course. And best pitch to Gorehound. Okay, Gorehound and James are winners of nothing this week, so big well done to both of you. However, my turn now. Yep, you ready? Yeah, hit me. I don't think you'll find this one too taxing. No? No, here we go. Okay, it's certainly not going to be too taxing to describe. (laughs) Uh, This is the simplest of keeping it simple. Uh, No border to this image. Uh, The background and probably about 80% of the image is pure black. Yep. Uh, bang in the middle of the image, we have two human eyes that are kind of like uh, blue-green. Fair, okay. I would say. F- uh, a pair of human feminine hands, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> yes. uh, long red painted nails, slim, Caucasian, Yes, I would say. Kind of moving almost towards a kind of like a Mr. Burns finger tenting, but also it could be could be any number of things, one of which I'm not going to mention because I'm going to use in the pitch. Could be reaching up to pluck a baseball out the air. Absolutely, yeah, it could be that, yeah. But yeah, there you go. But like That's literally all it is. Two feminine human hands reaching out in front of two green human, or blue-green human eyes cut against a backdrop of darkness. Yeah, okay. Okay, I'll need a moment. Sure, sure. Now, would you suppose that this is one of those images that you're going to really struggle with because it's too simple? Or did something come to you right away? The beginnings of something did. It's, uh, uh, like, you can't not extrapolate um, massively. Yeah, you're kind of forced to. Yeah, when, when, it's, when it's quite this simple. So that is precisely what I'm doing. Oh, lovely. And how's that going? Um, yeah, I'm almost there. I know, I know that I kind of did something Hollywood-based last week. 
You, you can, hey, there are no rules, no restrictions on you, Mitch. If you want to do Hollywood every week, you could. Good, because, again, <laughs> our story takes us to Tinseltown, where oh. disillusioned after years of failed additions, aspiring young actress May Kitt someday has decided uh. their next attempt will be her last. She hangs her hopes on a tryout for a role in a ballet-themed shadow puppet horror play at the infamous MacGuffin Theatre. Right. However, as her audition begins, the theatre is plunged into darkness, and when the lights come up, the director has had his throat slashed. With the doors of the theatre mysteriously locked from the outside, May, the crew and her fellow auditionees must survive the night as the ingenues and mangenues are picked off one <laughs> by one. But is the killer closer than they think? Experience the film that literally nobody described as a bitingly satirical look at the cutthroat nature of Hollywood and the things we do to follow our dreams. It's director Alabaster Hacks 1984 <laughs> chamber piece, Theatre of Shadows 2, Pirouettes and Kilouettes. Oh ho ho! <laughs> Lovely, lovely stuff there. By the way, the Japanese art of shadow puppetry is called Bunraku. Bunraku. So, so there you go. Uh, yeah, well, uh, no, it wasn't that. What year did you say? I said 84. Oh, well, you're not actually that a million miles away. It's 1982. Okay, I'm happy enough with that. And the film is The Clairvoyant. The Clairvoyant. Okay, tell me more, but more to the point. Tell me who's synopsisizing. Synopsis this week coming in from Matt-282. Dash 282. I better be better than those other 281 yeah. hacks. Not to be mistaken with Matt Dash 281. <laughs> no, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Not that waste of space. <laughs> After the body of a murdered woman is found nude and handcuffed floating down in the Hudson River in New York, a string of murders occur by an unseen serial killer who kills men by handcuffing them before killing them. Mac, a TV talk show host, and Larry, a police detective, team up to try to find the killer and seek help from Verna, a clairvoyant young artist who draws visions of the murders before they happen. As Mac and Larry try to establish a connection between the victims and the first female victim, who may have been sexually involved with all of the male victims, Verna's further visions begin to point to her as the next victim, as she unknowingly closes in on the killer's identity. Oh wow, okay. I, I really liked that part where the modus operandi of the killer was to handcuff people and then kill them. <laughs> You seen this? No, I haven't. No. Okay, I feel like you're answering that question though increasingly more often. The deeper you have to dig into crap to make the numbers up. Yeah, like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's gone from like I've seen all of these to like I've seen maybe one in five. Yeah, exactly. However, that concludes Mitch's pitches for this week. That image is everywhere. You know what to do. Yeah. Elsewhere then, streaming platforms for the 17th to the 23rd of May. Amazon Prime on Monday. We have got Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd. Tim Burton's. Benjamin vows to seek revenge from the judge who framed him for a crime he did not commit. In order to do so, he reopens his barber shop and begins murdering his customers with a razor. Now, not strictly horror, but I really want to mention this because I think it's one of the best films that I've ever seen. On Tuesday, 2009's The Secret in the Rye, comes to Amazon Prime. All right, okay. So this is an Argentinian production, not to be confused with the remake from a few years later. Yeah. Uh, while spending his retirement writing his memoir, a former crime scene investigator is compelled to revisit an unsolved homicide case that passed through his office decades earlier. Yep, yep. Uh, you have uh, you've talked about this quite a lot. In fact, I think you've talked about the remake potentially on I, this show. I've talked about the remake in the sense that um, I've kind of used that as an example about not getting precious about things getting remade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, because I haven't I haven't watched it, but I'm not mad that it's there. Okay. You know. But um, yeah, Secret Lies is brilliant. Um, if you like a crime drama that is kind of like fast paced you some really interesting scraps of information and it has a twist that I personally I had about four or five different ideas in my head for how it might play out and every single one was topped by what they chose right okay 
Ah, so that's tremendous. Um, Sky Cinema then. On Tuesday, we have got Tremors Shrieker Island. Oh, I think that's like the sixth instalment. There or thereabouts. Yeah, Burt Gummer must save the day when a wealthy playboy unleashes a gigantic carnivorous worm and other monsters on a tropical island. Netflix on Friday. A lot of people have been counting down to this one. Not least, I believe, yourself, Andy. Uh, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't like the films of Zack Snyder, historically. We know this. We have discussed this before. I don't much care for his work at all. I do, however, believe that Dawn of the Dead is his best film. So, with that in mind, I am looking forward to him dipping his toe back into the world of zombies. Yeah, we have a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas on this one, where a group of mercenaries take the ultimate gamble by venturing into the quarantine zone for the greatest heist ever. I get the impression that this is either going to be really, really fun or shocking, with very little room in between. Yeah, I'm, I'm, cu- I'm, I'm curious as to how it's going to go because I think it's quite a grand scale and don't want to see too much Zack Snyder in there. Agree, yeah. As for the Arrow player, some good stuff coming this week but nothing particularly horror. Okay. I wouldn't say, but Shudder has got you covered. On Monday, we have um, I Trap the Devil. Oh, okay. From former guest Josh Lobo, of course. Hoping for a joyful family reunion, Matt and his wife pay a surprise visit to the home of his estranged brother Steve to celebrate Christmas. To their shock, they soon learn that Steve has a hostage in his basement, a man he claims is the devil. This is class. Really nice, lean, 80-85 minute thing. Really nicely claustrophobic. Final shot, I think, is really, really superbly creepy. Awesome film. Yeah, also stars former guest AJ Bone. Correct, yeah. Um, also on Monday on Shutter 1968's Curse of the Crimson Altar. Ooh. An expert in the supernatural collects torture devices and helps a man exact revenge on the descendants of those responsible for burning his ancestor at the stake. This stars Christopher Lee and Boris Karloff. Of course it does. <laughs> <laughs> on Tuesday, we've got Death by Temptation from 1990. An evil succubus is preying on libidinous black men in New York City. And all that stands in her way is a minister in training, an aspiring actor, and a cop who specialises in cases of the supernatural. <laughs> yes. Also on Tuesday from 1988, former Mitch's Pitch image film, Black Roses. Oh, wow, okay. A demon hypnotise the general public by posing as a rock and roll band. And on Thursday, we have got, I'm finally going to get to see this, uh, having missed it at Celluloid Screams, it is Steve Kostansky's Psycho Gorman. Yay! Young siblings Mimi and Luke unwittingly resurrect an ancient alien overlord who was entombed on Earth millions of years ago after a failed attempt to destroy the universe. They nicknamed the creature Psycho Gorman and used the magical amulet they discovered to force him to obey their childish whims. It isn't long before his reappearance draws the attention of intergalactic friends and foes from across the cosmos, and a rogues gallery of alien combatants converges in small-town suburbia to battle for the fate of the galaxy. Yes. <laughs> That's your lot for this week. Um, I would say uh, my pick's obviously The Secret in Their Eyes. What's yours? I'm going to have to say Psycho Gorman because I've seen it, and a tentative interest in Army of the Dead. Cool. So no shortage of stuff to be getting stuck into there. However... Something else you might want to throw on your watch list for this week is our film for this Friday's episode. Yeah, good segue. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Sharpening up with these. Now, (laughs) if you pay attention to the schedule, you might have realised that it has been a little while since our last Andy vs. Mitch episode. Yeah, the last time was me 
the film Nightmare City. Minimum five weeks ago, we had this really hot streak of guests, so we actually didn't do an Andy versus Mitch where it would normally fall on the calendar. Yeah. Because we had to kind of like, we had guests that we wanted to get in before that. Um, but it is my turn again for this Friday. Now, this film you can get in a couple of different places. It's definitely available on Star on Disney Plus. Because that's where you, you watched it. it. That is where I watched it. Yeah, you can get it from there. Uh, so this is a relatively new watch for me, I gotta say. Uh, you can also rent it uh, on Prime under the name The Devil's Child. Ooh. <laughs> or under the name that I know it best as Joshua. Yep, eagle-eared listeners to the show. I don't know, is that is that right? Eagle ears? I'm happy with it, yeah. yeah. Eagle-eared listeners made a call you talking about this a few weeks ago. Yeah, like I say, I only checked this out a little while ago, and it was actually, just want to say a quick uh, hello and thank you to Andrew Barron, who watched it and then was like, this would make a great Andy versus Mitch episode. And I was like, you know what? It would. I'm stealing that idea and doing it. And here we are. So yeah, so we've got Andrew to thank, kind of, by way of Disney+. Plus. Um, <laughs> thank the you, fact Disney. That is Andy versus Mitch this week, and we are talking Joshua. Wow, okay, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, good cast on this one. Sam Rockwell, uh, Vera Farmiga, and loads of others. Uh, so yeah, really interesting stuff. But if you want to get in touch and talk to us before then, loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us at Strong Violent PC. You can email Scenes at gmail.com. And you can, of course, join the conversation on our Facebook group, The Chud Locker. Yep, and patrons, we will be back this week with another Irredeemables episode, and it's a stinker. <laughs> yep, uh, you've so thoroughly prepared me for the worst that um, I almost can't imagine this being as bad as you make it out to be, but we'll see. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's bad, but it, it's kind of enjoyable at the same time. Okay, but eyes on the Patreon feeds this week, and Irredeemables heading your way very soon indeed. However, we are back in the main feed this Friday for episode 151. It's Andy versus Mitch, and we're talking Joshua. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chads. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.